I will pray, and the children can go out. Thank you, Mel and Michelle. Father, we want to thank you for the children, and thank you for those who are giving of their time, Lord. Pray that they will have a great time learning more about you. Will you bless the teachers and bless the children, giving them ears to hear. Father, we sometimes forget the power of your word. And I ask today that you will anoint your own word. Bring forth change in those that teach and those that hear today. Amen. Thank you, Mel. Perhaps one of the greatest joys I have, because, I, because I've chosen to preach through various books of the Bible, is that you come across passages that you don't want to preach on. And if you were choosing a subject, you often would choose the subjects that you're more favourable with and more comfortable with. But I forego that pleasure, and I, um, because I think it's only right that going through the books, it will throw every subject up that we need to know. And one of the subjects it throws up today is judgment. And if grace is the undeserved favour of God, and we all benefit from grace, and mercy is not getting what we receive, would anyone like to tell me what judgment is? What we should, what we deserve, sorry. What we deserve. What then is judgment? What we do deserve. And you know yesterday, it was a bit bizarre yesterday, we... um, in, in a strange and and in some parts a good day, but then also in a in a bad way. It was a mixture of emotions. Kay and I were at a wedding yesterday, and um, I said to Kay, "I'm a bit like a fish out of water." You know, we're in this field. The wedding was fantastic. The, the preparation, the bride and groom looked fantastic, and and um, but we just different. We were just different, and you know, I, I listened to, oh, could overhear some of the conversations amongst the youngsters, and they, they were all smartly dressed and and attractive and dynamic people, and and the whole future ahead of them, and all happy for the bride and groom and everything. And I'm hearing, oh God, this and oh God that, and I'm thinking, oh, I don't like it around this sort of thing. And then. I said to Kay, you know, when I started the series on Samuel, I, I linked it back to Judges, as Matt did when he did Ruth. And it's everyone doing what they think is right in their own eyes. That's our world, by the way. And then, because I've got a very knowledgeable wife, she pointed out that I used to do that. You know, I, I got married in church to Wendy, and Wendy wanted a white dress. God just did not feature at all in our mentality. There was no such person as God. And so we stood before God, the God we don't believe in, and we said the vows that we wanted to keep and failed to keep. And she had a great day and I had a nice day. And that was it. We put God back in the drawer if he ever came out. And we carried on with married life. Until one day, actually God broke in to our, our world. And that was his grace. And I, and I found myself yesterday praying that Rachel and Nick, the, the bride and groom, 
would one day experience what Wendy and I had experienced. You know, we get salvation as a free gift. None of us deserve it. Not absolutely. It just says, he says to us, come on, I want to adopt you into my family. And all those people yesterday having that marvellous time. And then we went to see Kay's mum. And I look around the room and that's the other end of the scale. That is the scale that we all visit one day where, you know, I don't want to go there. I just want to check out a long time before I get to one of those places. I really do. You know, it's horrible when you're in a frailty ward where they're just caring for you. But if you haven't experienced God's grace before you get there, let me tell you something. The next thing you experience is God's judgment. Because that is true. And there is an element that actually we don't like to talk about is judgment. But it's as much in the Bible as anything else. One day, sin has to have its day of reckoning. And God will judge. Now he will either judge, as Kay's mum lays in her bed, and she can turn around and say, I've always known God's presence. Well, we'll let let the theology slide a little bit. Well, she has done for a considerable length of time, for her life. And she will not, therefore, face judgment. And as I prayed with Kay this morning... You know, when the time comes for us to say goodbye, actually, it's goodbye till we meet again. It's goodbye till we meet again. Because actually, Jesus has taken the judgment. And then there is hope. There is hope and celebration. Still painful, obviously still painful. But as we look at this passage today, what I don't want people to do is have a rabbit, th- rabbit foot theology. And do you know what? We are, we are just like the Israelites. We can do rabbit foot theology. And I don't want that. That's not good. And what do I mean by that? We almost tag God on as a lucky charm. I love answer to prayer. Do you know when those days come when you pray and you just know God has done what he did? Oh, Let me tell you something Kay didn't share with. On Wednesday, we thought a mum was going to die. We were told a mum would die, actually. And then then about six hours later, they move her from one bed to another. She sits up, has a bag of crisps and a cup of tea. And I'm thinking, what's all that about? And then some wise person said to me, well, we did pray, you know. Oh, I forgot about that bit. And, you know, one of the things Kay was saying as a mum was asleep down in the A&E ward was she'd written her a letter... And mum hadn't had a chance to open the letter. Yesterday, mum was telling Kay, thank you so much for the letter. It's just, answer to prayer is great. What happens when the blinking answers to prayer don't come how we want them to come? Because that's the other side of the coin. Some of you in the room know it, and if you don't know it, you will find out, actually. You can't hide in this stuff. That's absolutely the truth. Sometimes you will pray, and the answer will be not the answer that you seek. What happens? Where's God then? Well, we'll find out. We'll find out on this passage. I need to show you two pictures just to set the scene. Let's put the ark up and we'll show what the ark looks like. This is an artist impression of what the ark looked like in those days. About nearly four foot long, two and a quarter foot deep. And the Israelite theology told by God 
is that God dwells here. So the ark came to symbolise God's presence. As the Old Testament rolls forward, you find that on occasion the ark features in some uh, battles that the Israelites had to do. If, if you're aware of it, you'll see that they carried the ark around the walls of Jericho and then they fell down and different things. There's a couple of times when the ark is, is present when the Israelites go to war. Next picture, please. We will come back to the ark. This little bit of pottery, I am very good to you, you know. I searched this stuff out. Found in 1976, I won't even attempt to pronounce its name. But you can find him on the internet. I've got the notes. I can give you the the website. It's probably, some scholars believe, the oldest archaeological find connected to the Bible. And this writing records the very passage that we're going to look at today. Even down to the name of one of Eli's sons. Now, you and I can't read that. That's fine. But those that do, translate it. And it records the battle that we're going to look at. And the fact that both sons are killed. Or it mentions one of the sons being killed, but the other one is, is killed in, the, in the, the battle as well. 1976, that was found and on display and recognised for what it is. So, let's go into the text and I'll see if we can link both together. This is where we ended, 1 Samuel chapter 3. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Samuel is growing up now, he is ministering before the Lord, he's learning this skill of listening and hearing and identifying the voice of God. Even though that those around him don't. As an individual, he has learnt to be in God's presence, what it means to be his servant, what it means to be a prophet of God, And he is actually replacing the old system. The old system, which should have been light, directing the nation to God, was part of the darkness. And I challenge everyone who's a believer, actually do not be part of the darkness. You walk in the darkness, as I did yesterday, in that field, at that wedding, and in that hospital. But you are called to be light. You and I have a hope within us. Let that hope shine forth. You know, when I prayed with Dorothy yesterday, what a blessing. I didn't expect that response from her, though she has told me a few times that sort of thing. But she's not afraid of death. She's not afraid. She's brought up three wonderful daughters, umpteen grandchildren, umpteen, umpteen great-grandkids. Her effect on life goes through. Be part of the light. Be the light that we're called to be in this dark world. It needs to know there is hope. Samuel's word came to all of Israel. And now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites come to Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. Right. You know what history recalls? When God gave the Israelites the promised land, he said, like, you've got to get rid of everything. Everything like that, that will ensnare you, you've just got to get rid of it. Did they succeed in following God's direction? Brief answer, no. No. Let me let you into a little insight, a little theological discovery. If you don't follow what God says, 
your life will struggle. Why do we do it? Why do we think we know what better than what our God knows? He tells them do this, they don't do it, so it comes back to bite them. And they struggle, all history just records the struggles. If they got that right in the book of Joshua, the history could have been so different. Sometimes, for us, what we do, we have victory and then we don't push on and have more victory. A more victory. A more victory. And we eradicate those things that would ensnare us and trip us up. Just learn the lesson. Don't do that. Whatever God is asking you to do, in his word, in your heart when you hear from God, just do it. Do life the right way. I, I, I really, if I could beg you, I would beg you to do it. You know, I'm, I'm 60 year old. I haven't always done it the right way. I can cut some pain out of your life. <laughs> like I can, you know, learn from my lesson. Give in. I wish I knew what I knew now when I was 30 again. You don't get that, do you? You don't get that chance. Okay, let's move on. The Philistines had come in. They hadn't been eradicated. Now they've got a foothold. And we're in the Iron Age now. You know What these guys do is they invent the chariots and the wheels and all that sort of stuff. And now the Israelites don't have that equipment. They don't have steel, steel spe- iron spears and things. And so they get... The thorn becomes a bush. And it takes root and it's robbing them of what they should. And the whole book of Judges is about Israel thinking it knows best. Then... God allowing a nation to come against them or a tribe to come against them and then God raising up someone when they'd repented and then turning the cycle back again. It's do life the right way. Cut out some of the rubbish. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines. And look, they killed about 4,000 of them. Now, in Israelite theology, the first thing they're going to recognise is, listen, look, something's gone wrong. This wasn't supposed to happen. Ever done that in life when you think, this wasn't supposed to happen? Why is this happening? Don't do the rabbit foot. Watch what they do. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? I know, it worked before, let's do this. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. The ark, that gold-plated box, which has got the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod and the manna from heaven in it, was supposed to be behind a curtain. It was supposed to be the place where they went to worship God. They haven't been worshipping God. The book of Judges tells you that that's not been happening in the nation for ages. Every man doing what he wants to do. And then, disaster. Do you know it's often the case when people who don't believe in this God, and then there's a disaster and they say, will you pray? Or they pray. I was once landing at somewhere in Switzerland, one of the engines went out. They woke me up to tell me the engine was stopped. It had another couple of ones. Do you know I prayed? I didn't believe in God. The moment we got down, forget him. But just in case, I prayed. It was a bumpy descent. but And that's what life is like. 
And as Christians, we're not to do that. As Christians, we are called to have a continual living relationship. But they make a mistake. They say, instead of us going to God, turning from what we know is wrong, turning in repentance, praying to God, asking God for his advice and his direction, no, no, we'll bring God into the equation. Rabbit's foot theology. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hopni and Phineas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, a man of God had come and he had declared that these two would die on the same day. And then, if you remember last week, Samuel himself had been told that God's judgment was coming. And all Eli had done was say, He's God. He's God. Well, this is going to be a disaster. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. They think they've got it now. God's in the fight. Can't possibly lose, can we? Should we have a vote? Do they win or do they lose? They lose. You've seen the ending. Come on. Here in the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. You should be afraid if God turns up. I read an interesting quote from Annie Dillard this week. She said, when you come to church, instead of putting a hat on, you'd be better off crash at. If the living God turns up today, we're all on the floor. Everyone in this room. I want that. I really want it. And we'll all be crying and weeping and snot coming out of our noses. It'd be a great day. Can't you say that in church? Yeah, be, do you know what? We'll be sending out for more tissues. Wouldn't it be great if he'd, if he'd, if he'd just come and do what... But well, of course it's up to him. We can't artificially do this. What Stephanie's does on the prayer chain is fantastic. I love the fact that Rose honoured Stephanie with her ministry. But do you know what? Hear this. We cannot twist God's arm. It's right that we pray. And it's right that we get as many people on board agreeing in prayer, but God's will will be done. You don't get to 10 people and you get a maybe, and you get to 15 and you get a yes, and you get to 20 and you get a bonus. It doesn't work that way. And sometimes we think it does. Sometimes actually we think it does. The more that we fast, the more that we pray, it's like we wrestle with God. He loves us. He loves us so much. To come to God in prayer, it's a privilege. It's, a, it's an honour. To be his child and to talk to Daddy, it, it's amazing. But sometimes when we pray, the answer's no. And we just have to live with that. He knows best. And those things are difficult. But they will happen. And it doesn't not happen if we didn't get enough people to pray. Or if we didn't pray. Or if we didn't believe. I, I, I googled it. I told Kate the other day. I actually googled it. Try this. How to guarantee your prayers answered. Do you know... There's a guy on the internet, I only read a couple, but there's a guy on the internet that actually can guarantee your prayers to be answered. 
Let me guarantee you he's talking rubbish. And if you send a pound, <laughs> I'll guarantee they still won't be answered. This is God we're dealing with. God. The God who appeared to these people and the mountaintop shook and the lightning came down. And he's here today. He is here in this room. They're afraid because they know. They've heard what he did to Egypt. And that he sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness. And he protected them. And they think if he's turned up, we're in trouble. There must have been a brave lot, this lot. Oh, they're foolish. Move it on, please, Matt. We're doomed. Well, do you know what I shout? I'm saved. They're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They're the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. And then they do a rallying cry. Be strong, Philistines. Be men or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they've been to you. Be men and fight. Well, if I was talking today, today, I said be men and get on your knees. And worship God. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated. How did that happen? I thought God was in the camp. I thought the God who actually defeated the Egyptians was there. How can that possibly do? Your theology has gone out the window here today. And every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000. They've gone from four now to 30,000 soldiers. It gets worse, actually. Shiloh itself is probably gone. And look at this. The ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hopney and Phineas, died. They're amongst the 30,000. Their sin of leading the nation into darkness had consequences. It affected other people. Uh, we don't walk this path alone. Sin's horrible. What could they have done to avoid this? They could have turned to God. They could have gone on to his mercy and asked for forgiveness. What a different result might have been. But the ark's gone. And to their way of thinking, God's left the building. God has left the building. That same day, a Benjamite, Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. He's in mourning. And when he arrived there, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. Well, actually, Eli, you're the high priest. You should have said, there's no way that ark is coming out of Shiloh. Stand up and be a man, Eli. Do you know whenever you see Eli, he's in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. At the beginning of the story, he was sat down. And all the way through the stories, he's been allowing his sons to, to do the wrong thing. And now he's sat down again, with his heart heavy. And when the, man of, when the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry, God has left the building. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what's the meaning of this uproar? And the man hurried over to Eli. Now he's 98 years old and his eyes had failed so that he could not see. He can hear, but he cannot see. 98 years old. Near the end of his life, 
overweight, we're going to find out. He's not been a good witness. The man of God had been and told him what would happen. Samuel had confirmed the word of God. The boy was replacing the high priest. A new area was entering the nation and the ark has gone. He told Eli, I've just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. And Eli asked, what happened to my son? What happened? Good question. The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also your two sons, Hopni and Phineas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. What a disaster. Has God given up on his nation? Does God ever give up? We can't imagine what that must felt like. The ultimate disaster. When he mentioned the ark of God, not the two sons. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backwards off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died for he was an old man and he was heavy. That's a polite way of saying he's got too much weight. He's old, his eyes are failing, he's overweight, and now his neck's been broken. He had led Israel for 40 years. 40 years! 40 years, and he's recorded as not getting it right. All that time to look on the situation and to turn the nation back to God. Why do we mess up? You know, why do you and I mess up so easily? A loving God. One of the questions I've had asked of me sometimes is this. Well, if if it's wrong, why doesn't God intervene? I have heard some really strange things touted by the fact that because God doesn't seem to act, then it must be okay. Well, actually, remember Eli? He gave him time after time after time after time. But typical human nature, the absence of God's action, we then link it to his endorsement. He could have stopped it many, many times. Repentance is is such a good thing to do. To recognise, you know what God, I've been going up my own way, my own theology, my own understanding, my own judging of the situation, and you've not been stopping me. But today, you know, you know what? When I read this book, this book, give, book gives me lots of information about God. Do you know what it's supposed to do as well? It's supposed to f- change you. It's not just information; it's formation. Formation. It changes us inside if we will just believe it and apply it, learn it. Forty years of, of, of unprecedented access to God. And, and he, didn't, he didn't see what he had. We get to the punchline. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. Should have been a time of rejoicing. And when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, 
She went into labour and gave birth, but was overcome by her labour pains. The day's getting even worse. Father-in-law's dead, the nation's gone, the ark's captured, my husband's dead. Can it get any worse? I want you to learn a word today. Watch this word. As she was dying, the woman attending her said, Don't despair, you have given birth to a son. The highest accolade for a lady in that day was to give birth to a a man-child. Someone to look after you in your old age. Someone to care for you. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod. You all hear the word Ichabod. Isn't it a nice name? Don't call your child Ichabod. I was telling Kay, uh, I went to Wales, as in North Wales, to look at a business opportunity. And I'd been listening to a teaching tape by Roger Price on, on this subject. And we'd listened to it. And we, we got, my daughter and I had got to Wales. And we were driving, I'm sure it was through Merthyr Tydville. Now, if you don't know Wales, Wales has, has had lots of revivals, massive outpourings of the Spirit of God. Some wonderful books written about the revival where hardened miners had, had um, stopped swearing as they worked down the, down the mines. And the ponies could only understand swear words. So the ponies couldn't work because the miners were singing hymns. And I mean, this is documented stuff. You can look at the prison records, of, of the cell records of the police stations, and see that the Saturday before the revival, they were fighting and people were locked up and all that sort of stuff. And then the day that the God's power hit that, that country, or that village as it moved through, that the cells are empty, that people are just worshipping God, crying and holding prayer meetings thousands of feet underground. Well, we drove through Murphy Tidville, and I'd learnt this name, Ichabod, And over the first church that I saw, someone had written Ichabod. Ichabod. The church was closed. The glory of the Lord had departed. That's what it means, basically. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Well, let me tell you, she's slightly wrong. He had never departed from Israel. Israel is his child. Because of the capture of the Ark of God and the death of her father-in-law and her husband. The capture of the Ark was because Israel had departed from God. And there's a world of difference between the two statements. God had not given up. If you go back to the birth of Samuel, that's the whole reason Samuel was born. That's the whole reason that when Anna was praying and said, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. That's what God was waiting for. Someone he could grow up. Someone he could replace the old priesthood with a new prophet. Someone who will go on in chapter 7 to begin to seek the king. It's a transition period. But hear this. God has never given up. He doesn't give up until judgment day. And I know most of you in the room are believers. But do you know what? There's still a lesson for Ichabod. There's still a lesson for you and I. I'm a 
believer that the Holy Spirit will never leave me. I need him to be there because at my moment of death, I'll be departing this tent. And he'll be the one that's raising it, giving me a new body. But I know this much. In my walk with God, there are days when I seem to have so much of his presence. And then there are days when I think, have I done something, Lord, to offend you today? When I can feel that coldness. When I can feel, I need to get back and just examine myself. Am I walking now? I should be walking. Am I doing my daily disciplines that I stand at the front and say to you, do, do them? Normally I am. And then on that rare occasion for me, when my prayers seem to be about that high and hit the ceiling and come back down to nothing, as long as I've got, as long as I've got an assurance that I'm not in sin, that actually, okay God, what are you doing? What are you actually trying to tell Alan? Because he can be a bit stupid sometimes. Brackets always. Are you doing something afresh, Lord? Are you just doing something? You know, I have never met someone more blessed than me. And I'm not being big-headed. I am simply stating the fact that I am the most blessed person I have ever met in my life. I sometimes get so blessed that actually I get embarrassed. Is that strange? Maybe you can sit there. I hope you can sit there and say the same. If you can sit there and say, I've never met anyone more blessed than me. Because that's our God. He, he, he sometimes surprises me. He has done recently. And then sometimes the prayers hit the ceiling and come back down. And I have to go then on faith. I've got the most beautiful wife in the world who loves God with all of her heart. That'll do. I, I, I could reiterate story after story. You know, I, I, I forget who I was telling this. I, I told Steve last week, as we travelled to work, I travelled, sorry, as I travelled to church, because this didn't work, is it? This is fun. That was a joke. I told Steve last week that I was a chicken farmer. And... We won the farm of the year. Now, I've let you into a secret. We're not the best farmers of the year. But we know God did. And we had not had to win it. When we won the farm of the year and four days after the new flock arrived and I had a heart attack, it just meant selling the farm a lot easier. Because you didn't have to advertise it. Yesterday, when we were at the wedding, we sat opposite Kay's sister... And the wedding was great, and, it, and it, in every way it was great. But the lady sat opposite me was at our wedding. Kay's sister was at our wedding. And even a non-believer knew Jesus turned up. And we reminded her that actually it was like a bubble. I'll let you into a secret. This is not for the internet. Kay's dress cost 17 quid. 17 quid. We'd both had the big white wedding without God in it. Sorry? Off Leicester Market. We'd both had all the trimmings and we'd done everything that that young couple were doing yesterday and neither of us would change a thing for what happened in Oakham Register Office. We were in a bubble and everyone in that room knew God had turned up. I I, I sometimes say to God, I can't take any more. Brackets, 
just in case I can. Go ahead. You know what blesses me more and more? I find myself loving him more and more. Not for what I get. That's not what it's about. The more, I, the more time I spend with him, the more I find falling in love with him. And in that is blessing upon blessing. Because then I get, begin to get an insight into just who, in a small way, John, just who he is. And just how sovereign he is. You know, hospital wards can be dreadful. You know, you know that. Right? But God is still God. And he still loves us so much. Blessed beyond measure. Beyond measure. Ichabod. We don't have to lose God. I don't think we ever lose God. As, as a believer, that's not what I'm saying. Please do not hear that. But I do know this, that we can cause him to withdraw his presence. You know this, if you've been around any, any Christians for any length of time. But there's always an opportunity to come back to him. There is always an opportunity to say, hands up, I, I, I know I got it wrong. Do you know, the nation got it wrong. They got it wrong, but God doesn't give up on them. If that's the lesson from, from what I'm talking about, they're still his people. He just needs the right people. Israel is still the nation. The Philistines, it gets funny in the next, in the next part, they think they've captured God. You can't do that either. The good news is he didn't live in the box or above the box. He actually lives in us. I just want you to love God more. I want us to come next week and crash apps. Wouldn't you like that? You know, can you, if we all go out and get some motorcycle gear and say, come on God, let's have some. Pour out your spirit until I shout uncle or whatever it is. Just pour it out. I've only ever been to church once when that happened and I want it again. It's great fun. Scary as hell, if we can use that terminology. Amen.